IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, hash out trends. In this episode we're going to do a little bit of everything. We're going to discuss the rise and fall of Chill Wave and review the latest albums by Washed Out and Young Jesus. My name is Stephen Hyden and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Steve, to be, I mean, to be honest, I'm not at all that different than the artists and uh, you know bands that we talk about here. And like those bands, I'm just obsessed with the reviews. I read all the comments about our podcast. And the one <laughs> one that stood out was were people saying that they related to July is Dream Pop and August is for Chill Wave. I said that in the first episode. And right now it is seven o'clock in the morning in San Diego. I'm already sweating. There is no such thing as central air conditioning in San Diego. So this is the absolute perfect time to talk about Chill Wave. I'm stoked, man. This, like, I've never felt more in the zone. Yeah, I was going to say that, like, when we first, uh, you know, brought up the idea of doing a podcast together, I feel like the way I enticed you was to say that we will talk about Chill Wave at some point. I feel like you were on the fence, but then I brought up Chill Wave and you're like, Okay, I, I want to talk about Chill Wave on yeah, a podcast. Any so. podcast, TV shows, I'm like the cheapest date. Talk about <laughs> Chill Wave and I'm in, okay? <laughs> so the reason that we're talking about Chill Wave is that there was a new album that came out by an act called Washed Out. That album is called Purple Noon. And of course, Washed Out is one of the defining acts of, of Chill Wave. And it's a project spearheaded by a guy named Ernest Green. He's a guy from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, like a lot of millennials, he went to college with big Go dreams. Dogs. He was. <laughs> I, I, I must. Oh, right. I, mu- I must. Like I, I cannot let this part go without saying, "Go dogs!" He's a Georgia bulldog. He's a Georgia bulldog, and like a lot of people, he went to school. He wanted to be a librarian, I believe. He couldn't find a job, so he ended up moving back into his parents' house. He set up a studio in his bedroom, and he started out making like indie rock under the name Lee Weather. But then he was also experimenting with a more electronic type music under the name Washed Out. And that was the group that ended up hitting the big time, at least in the indie rock sense. Uh, the big song that he put out in 2009 is a song called Feel It All Around. You might know that song as the theme from Portlandia. It really is... I, I, Am I stretching to call that the smells like teen spirit of chill wave? Um, <laughs> some would argue because you know Tori Moi's Blessa is the one with the lyric that everyone brings up. I got a job, I do it fine. It's not what I want, but still I try. Still a lyric that kind of relates to what was going on with Ernest Green. So maybe that feel it all around was the smells like teen spirit of chill wave and maybe blesso was more like pearl jams alive i don't know like you could <laughs> they, they collaborated so you could kind of think of them as being in competition on that end but anyway i mean feel it all around i feel like is the song that if you were to do a period piece about chill wave like that would be the song that you would play it's the song that i think instantly evokes that time and it really put washed out at the forefront of that scene and we're going to talk more about chill wave here in a minute, but um, I remember the the first debut full length that uh, Washed Out put out. It was called Within and Without. Came out in 2011. It peaked at number 26 on the charts. I remember I that's saw a, that's a that's amazing. By the way, like I think there, that's a reflection of how much easier it was for indie bands to chart because, like number 26, like you should go look at what's number 26 right now. <laughs> right. Exactly. And. and but there was also like a lot of conversation about Washed Out and about groups like this. It was definitely their moment at that uh, period of time. And I remember I saw Washed Out on that tour. Uh, pretty boring. Pretty boring show, <laughs> as you might expect. But I remember enjoying that record. I The song Amor Fati is still a Great song. song. I, I love that song. I can listen to that song about ten times in a row. Um, but of course, Chill Wave came and went. Um, it became... Uh, a punchline for a lot of people is something very associated with like a specific place and time in music, but washed out has endured. And here we are over 10 years later, he has a new record out. What did you think of this album? 
Well, the, as far as the new album goes, um, look, music writers in a lot of ways, like we're pretty lazy. Uh, we always want a shortcut. You know, how many times can you talk about a guitar, a distorted guitar? And I think what's happened lately is, and trust me, I'll talk about how this relates to the record, but there seemed to be this reflect, like there's all, there's this reflex now to talk about like how music made before the pandemic is appropriate for the pandemic. And I think with Washed Out, there was this reflexive backlash, like what does this guy think he's doing? You know, he's on the cover wearing like white khakis. He's on like a Mediterranean <laughs> coast. It's called Purple Noon. Like it, you can never accuse Washed Out of like not being on the nose, man. Um, his last album was called Mr. Mellow. Um, <laughs> but what, what, what? And so people are like, what does this guy think he's doing? He's so tone deaf. Um, this is not what we need right now. And what that leads me to th- like, because to be honest with you, like I kind of like forgot about Washed Out for a while, even though I've you know enjoyed all of his albums. But once that starts happening, I get like in this pose of wanting to defend Washed Out. It's like, no, this is what we do need this. We need counter programming. And this is the guy who's going to bring it to us. We are just going to vibe out for like 35 minutes at a time. uh, And he's the guy who's going to bring us there. Um, Initially, uh, once I actually listened to the record, it was it was a bit disappointing because his past two records, particularly like Paracosm in 2013, the follow up, which was surprisingly really strong. He started to he branched out more into like shoegaze. There was a song that sort of sounded like Mercy, Mercy Me, which is probably not a great idea given his vocal uh, abilities. But nonetheless, it showed he was trying. And then he made Mr. Mellow in 2017. I gave it a fairly average review. He was not Mr. Mellow after reading that. That being said, uh, he... Oh, did he uh, lash out? Did he lash out at uh, you a little bit? A little bit of a tweet and delete going on. Oh, um, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, anyway, um, with that record, it, I thought it was just kind of interesting from a uh, trajectory of him being on Stone's Throw, like as opposed to Sub Pop, Stone's Throw being a hip-hop label that put out Mad Villainy and J. Dilla's Donuts, two records that are really, really influential uh, on chillwave producers, so I was thinking that perhaps he might like the 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 arc I envisioned for him was maybe like an M eighty three sort of thing, where that guy just made like really vibey reverb music, and then he started touring with bands like Kings of Leon and Depeche Mode, so he learned how to be a front man, and then he started to outsource his vocals to people who had like real powerhouse uh, singing abilities. I thought Washed Out might go that direction, just kind of be a producer who maintained the vibe of his past stuff, but put people on top of it that uh, could sell it or make it sound a little bit different. Uh, He went the complete opposite direction and made an album that sounds almost exactly like uh, Within and Without. And uh, I don't expect to have like an existential crisis when I listen to Washed Out. Like I think... (laughs) But nonetheless, it's so similar to his past work, so intentionally similar. Some of the drum fills are call back to Feel It All Around, which call back to, you know, Phil Collins in the air tonight. Like some of the synth sounds are pretty similar. Some of the vocal lines are the same. And it makes me wonder, like I was super into Chill Wave, like ground floor, buy all the stocks. Um, It makes me think back, it's like, was there value in this music or was I just influenced by the situation of my life at the time? I was going to a lot of pools. I was like doing a lot of day drinking at the time. And so, you know, when the, when the record's playing, I'm just asking myself, like, was I suckered in some ways? I mean, the record began, I made dinner, it ended. I could like, there was no real arc to the album. It just kind of kept this kind of mid-tempo pace and when it was done like i only realized it was over 35 minutes later because feel it all around came out on on spot <laughs> right yeah it's you know it's interesting to me that uh washed out is at this moment in his career where he's making the like i, I call it the i'm reminding you why you liked me once record you know which is like the album that like a lot of legacy artists make when they get to like the 10 12 13 year mark in their career you know like where they've they've put out a bunch of albums they haven't totally faded away but they don't have the prominence that they once had and in a way it's a reboot to a time when they were making music that was really relevant and people liked and you know obviously you heard 
Mr. Mellow in 2017. You reviewed it. I don't even remember that record coming out. I mean, it was it was wh- kind of. I think it was kind of seen as like not an official. It was like a video, a visual album. Yeah. So it might not be. It might be seen as part of the extended washed out universe, if not like washed out LP three. Yeah, I mean, but it, also that came out in 2017. And that was four years after Paracosm. This guy. He is very chill in his work ethic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, to me, like, Purple Noon just strikes me as a record that is, like, reminding people, like, oh, yeah, remember me. Remember, like, when you were into this kind of music. And it, it's it's very fascinating to me that, you know, Chill Wave, historically, was very strongly associated with nostalgia. And now here's a signature Chill Wave artist who's making music that evokes nostalgia for Chill Wave. You know, like, we are now <laughs> in, the, in the nostalgia wave for this nostalgic music. And, you know, I agree with you. Um, about the album being pretty forgettable. I, I I think it is a very explicit attempt to recreate what he was doing in the early 2010s. It is an album that really evokes within and without for me. But what is lacking is that one banger that is going to like bring <laughs> you back to the record over and over again, which yeah. in the case of Within and Without, as, as we said before, Amor Fati. Again, when I was researching for this episode... I found myself just on a loop with that song. It, it's such a great song. It's it's such an atmospheric there songs. Other ba- There's other good songs, there but are other bangers on that record too. I think the first song, uh, "Eyes Be Closed," I'll, I'll, I'll vouch for that one as well. I remember when that came out, people were like, uh, kind of taken aback how much it sounded like a song from Moby's play. Um, and also, there was a song with Caroline Polachek from Chairlift. Uh, "Belongs" a great song as well. Like, it's. Surpri- it surprisingly holds up. Plus, it's got that Ben Allen production. Ben Allen, the guy who did Halcyon Digest, Meriwether Post Pavilion. Like, that to me is like, I will strongly advocate for that because it's not just like a chill wave record, but it's like also a 2011, like what was going on then. Oh, yeah. Sort of it record, definitely why it definitely has that like Halcyon Digest like bigness to it. It feels like a like yeah. a shiny record and like those songs as as big as Washed Out can sound like that record. Yeah. <laughs> it, it blows up the best songs on that record to like near anthemic status. Um, but yeah, like this new record, it has a lot of the uh, like, as you said, like there's sonic illusions pervade the songs to like other washed out songs and it, it sounds like a like a washed out record from i guess the classic chill wave era if we can say that term <laughs> but um yeah. but yeah there's just not any like truly memorable songs like in a way this is this might be kind of a weird comparison but it reminds me in some ways of like a late period u2 album like where u2 was trying to evoke the joshua tree but they just didn't have the songs you know it's like again as i was saying like when artists get to this point in their career where uh they want to remind people of like why they love them in the first place and like that's what this record strikes me as an attempt to do um but yeah i don't know if it's wholly successful you know but like but like pivoting to like a larger conversation because you know we want to talk about chill wave in general What's, what's, what was interesting me, interesting to me listening to this album was that, you know, while we're talking about it, you know, he's trying to evoke sort of like the the older albums, the albums that he put out like when Washed Out was like a bigger thing in indie music. Just generally speaking, I felt like this album, it didn't feel anachronistic in a way. You know, it wasn't like a band trying to make like a 90s grunge album, for instance, where, you know, you associate grunge with a very specific period of time. I was really kind of surprised by how contemporary this record sounds, just because I feel like Chill Wave just permeated music in a way, even as the term fell out of favor, it it's almost like what happened with disco music at the end of the 70s, like where people didn't want to say the word disco anymore because that had become such an overexposed term. So people, but keep people kept making records that were in that vein. You know, they just didn't use the word anymore. And I mean, I've written about this before. I felt like the 2010s were like probably the most mellow decade musically um, that, 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 that's been around like since I've been alive. And I think there's many explanations for that. But I think the chill wave aesthetic ended up infiltrating like almost every other like popular form of music. I mean, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think with Chill Wave at the end, like at the end of 2010, um, we when we look at like the way it was made, which is um, 
like quite literally guys in their bedroom on synthesizers and computers and that really predicted um maybe not predicted it was just like kind of a natural outgrowth of where technology was leading to um and the fact that like chill wave encompassed more than just a sound like in the like i wrote about this uh last year for the 10 year anniversary of deadbeat summer but prior to chill wave being coined uh by hipster runoff i think that guy's credited with the creation of the term. It was known as like glo-fi or hypnagogic pop, like things that people would, like think, terms that music critics understand, but like nobody would be able to say in a public conversation. But when you say chill wave, um, beyond evoking the classic sound, which Washed Out does here, and I love the fact that it always comes back to you too for you. You know, I thought this this is like the closest like Washed Out can get to making like that Rick Rubin back to basics type record. Right. Um, Chill Wave encompassed a lot of things that became uh, central to the internet. Like it, it, it evoked uh, Tumblr, it evoked um, you know Instagram, it, it evoked filtering. So it it kind of was absorbed by the culture. You mentioned disco. I think the same thing could be said about goth or grunge or emo. Like anything that used to define a set parameter for music but became uh, indicative of like larger cultural trends. So when we look at like what Chill Wave did, um, first off, it's music that it's very cheap to make. There's a low bar for entry. Two, it's more easy than ever to just put it out there in the world. Uh, three, it usually sounds great while you're high, so that worked out for uh, its ability to leach into hip hop. Um, it can leach into rock music as well. So, I mean, we could. Well, I'm sure you'll have things to say about like how Chill Wave integrated itself into rock music. But um, well, and I was gonna say far- too that like all those things you mentioned about you know, it being cheap to make and like from the creator standpoint, I think that's all spot on. I'd also say too that like Chill Wave. And like the aesthetics of Chill Wave and how it ended up influencing other genres, it's also music that like plays really well on a laptop, like as a listener, you know, like the, just just the dynamics of it. Um, you know, you don't need like a great sound system to appreciate Chill Wave. And I mean, that was one of my theories about like two, why the 2010s like were I think generally a pretty mellow decade for popular music is that like really loud, aggressive music. It doesn't sound like optimal on a laptop like you want to hear that in your car you want to hear that like on a great stereo where you can appreciate like a great bottom end and like loud guitars and you know banging beats but yeah there was something about i think chill wave the flatness of it sonically just works really well on how people ended up listening to music uh in this decade and beyond yeah i mean i (laughs) i started to like a few years ago I started to buy like NPCs and like keyboards like the the basic elements of like chill wave beat make just because I just wanted to like I, I was bored I wanted to learn a new instrument and I started to like realize like how this music was made and first off it's like wow I'm gonna put all these panning effects and filters like it doesn't matter that I can't sing um, like this is part of the aesthetic and it does sound great on laptops and then you try to play it on loudspeakers. I'm like, oh, my God, this sounds like shit. Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, just because, like, I have no idea how to, like, mix things or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's Chill Wave was music made for the stereos at the time. I mean, most people are listening on laptops. Most people are listening in headphones. Most people are listening, you know, f- for some, like, there's something else. Go. It's great for multitasking. Right. Um, I can put on a chill wave record and still get an emotional appeal to it. Um, and, uh, like old school chill wave. I mean, you, you listen to like newer records from like Tori or neon Indian. And it's like they're, they, they became like pop artists. They became much more exploratory, but, uh, I admire how washed out is like the last man standing of chill wave. Like this guy is going to defend it till the wheels fall off. So, um, but yeah, I mean, what what happened afterwards is, it, it it was right place, right time, and predicted how people were going to listen and interact with music, uh, for the rest of the decade. And I think, even as people bring up like how it obviously influenced electronic music or how it influenced hip hop, 
uh, a lot of rock bands, I think, uh, became products of Chill Wave era, like even bands that predate it, because you think of Chill Wave as being one guy in their bedroom, lots of effects. Right. And you could think like, well, doesn't that describe the war on drugs in some right. way? Doesn't that describe Tame Impala in some way? Because uh, those are rock bands, like like everything you said, like big guitars, big sound systems, laser light show. But at the end of the day, they're kind of more vibey than rock. Yeah, I was going to say that. I feel like, um, you know, I wouldn't describe the war on drugs as a chill wave band or... Or, or, or Tame Impala, but like, yeah, I wouldn't. They're not a chill wave act, but I do agree that there was something about that aesthetic where, you know, like you listen to the War on Drugs, and you know, people compare them to like Bruce Springsteen and, and Tom Petty, but then you listen to a War on Drugs record next to like Born in the USA or Damn and the Torpedoes, and like, there's obviously a different production style. Like, they don't really emulate the sonics of those records, which are very bright and loud and like geared toward FM rock radio in the 70s and 80s. Whereas the War on Drugs have this sort of uh, postmodern quality to the way that they approach classic rock. And I, I really feel that like four bands like that, and you mentioned Tame Impala as another one, it almost like, I think the chill wave aesthetic, it almost became a way to launder classic rock influences in an indie rock setting where you could... Again, you could evoke the feeling of a Bruce Springsteen record without sounding like Bruce Springsteen. You know, it it, it really is the difference between a band like The War on Drugs and, say, The Hold Steady, for instance. Like, The Hold Steady yeah. <laughs> is more of a straightforward, you know, replication or homage to what Springsteen was doing, where you can, like, see sonic similarities, and it's much more comparable. Whereas The War on Drugs, again, mm-hmm. I think it's about evoking the same feeling that you get from those records without necessarily sounding like those records. I mean, I think the thing with Chill Wave that we have to mention too is that, you know, I feel like from the beginning when people were talking about these acts, it was always with an edge of hostility or skepticism. And it goes right to the genre tag, which as you mentioned was invented by hipster runoff. Do the kids know hipster runoff? I feel like that he's like faded away. <laughs> he was such a big deal for a long time, but like it was a jokey, um, you know, genre tag, obviously. But I feel like at the time, Chill Wave, there was this sort of element to it where I think people associated it with like the hipster debates of the time and th- oh, this yeah. idea of like young uh, people in big cities ironically embracing art that was shitty you know for lack of a better term yeah. and and doing it yeah, like I, in a way that wasn't sincere uh and i feel like people sort of looked at chill wave in in that respect it's like well what is this music it's you know there's no emotion to it you know it sounds not all that impressive sonically there's not a lot of musicianship here like who who really likes this kind of music i mean is this just for people that are logged on all the time and you know they can't really uh distinguish between like what they like and just like what they like in sort of a jokey way i think that was the impression that a lot of people had a chill wave at the time which really i think saddled it in a lot of these groups with i think some unfair baggage i because i don't think um in the case of washed out anyway that there was anything ironic about what he was doing i think there actually is a pretty genuine emotional component um, even though washed out, especially like the new record, it also has some of the negative attributes of uh, of Chill Wave, which is that it is sort of wallpaper music, and it's pretty easy to ignore. But I mean, I'm sure I know you remember that time, like where where people would talk about Chill Wave like that. I mean, am I classifying it accurately? I think this is a situation where both parties have a point. Like I was ground floor of Chill Wave, like. From the very jump, this was music that I gravitated towards because um, for all the things that subjected it to critique, the fact that it was so vibey, the fact that it was you know such a low level of musicianship, at, at the same time, it was something that felt like honestly new. It felt like something that was a product of its time, a product of young people, and the fact it could it was something that evolved. Um, and took in contemporary trends the same way that like hip hop and pop did because as a indie rock listener for the 2000s a lot of the trends that came up be it dance punk be it 
you know, the, the Springsteen wave of the <laughs> mid 2000s. Like a lot of that, or post-punk, a lot of that required you to like know about the roots of hit, of indie rock. It's like, okay, I got to listen to Gang of Four now, or okay, I got to go back and listen to Joy Division. But like with Chill Wave, you could be into Chill Wave and like it, it just kind of starts its own history. I mean, there are aspects of it that draw on like Boards of Canada or Venice or whatever, but if you were someone listening to Chill Wave in 2009, you were kind of already an expert on that. Um, and so I think the people who were negative towards it, um, they weren't wrong. But when we look at like the, like the idea that there's no emotion to it at all, I think we have to look back to um, a point that a lot of people have made in retrospect. Because you look at like Ernest Green's story, went to college, tried to get a job, you know, went back to live with his parents. Similar with um, Chaz Bear of Tori Moi, he was in an indie rock band. Um, he stopped, you know, he started making beats in his home in South Carolina. Alan Palomo of Neon Indian, also indie rock guy, started making music as Neon Indian. Um, all like when we look at like what was happening in 2008, 2009, that was like the recession. Like that was a time when a lot of people were discovering that their prospects uh, were not better than those of their parents. And that was like, probably the first time in generations that it happened. And so that stuff may have not been like chill wave might not have been like protest music on that front. It's like, I'm going to make music that, you know, like I'm going to make protest music that like protests the economic situation, but like it was a reflection of it. And so I think chill wave now is kind of seen as, uh, if not overtly political, like inherently political. And I think it should be admired for creating this kind of new path for indie rock to follow because um for before then everything was starting to become like kind of cyclical you know the 80s were post-punk and dance punk and like disco so were the 2010s the 90s like the you know the 90s indie rock aesthetic that was always coming back but uh chill wave really charted a new path and i think that yeah there were a lot of bands that were careerist and started to emulate that stuff just to like get some sinks at urban outfitters or H&M because it was so easy to make. But um, looking at at the time, there were a lot of talented artists that used that aesthetic. I mean, you listen to a Tori Moi album now, uh, one of his recent ones or Neon Indians last album. It's like, these were talented musicians. I think that the, the, the cream of this crop did rise. Uh, like and any any band that like was just trying to hop on this trend ended up being kind of exposed. So yeah. there was a weird amount of quality control like two years after the fact. Yeah, and you know, I was just thinking about what you were saying about th- this music being political. I don't know if I agree with that necessarily just because I feel like political music at a bare minimum at least has some level of commentary to it or at least offers a call to action. And I mean, I guess you could say maybe the the political statement of Chill Wave is to not act and to retreat. I mean, that, that seems to be the message of this music to me, uh, which isn't really an explicit message message because I don't think Chill Wave acts really said anything ever substantial. It was more of like an implicit message, you know, and I feel like that was something that really resonated with people in the 2010s. And and I'm I'm very ambivalent about that to be honest. Yeah. I think I but think there's a lot about music in the 2010s that was about retreating into yourself and retreating into a world of your headphones and world a world of like your favorite drugs and 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 maybe not interacting with the world. Uh, which yeah, again, I think it's reflective of people's reality. And you're right in that I do I agree that like that uh, that chill wave was something that was genuinely new compared to a lot of what happened in the aughts with, with indie rock, where it was about reviving things. Whereas I think Chill Wave was definitely a music that it's, it's hard to imagine this music existing without the internet and without the specific moment in time that we're talking about the recession, all these people making music in bedrooms, this um, idea of like not really being in a band anymore where, you know, you're just going to make music by yourself. And if you become popular enough, and you can actually make money, that's when you start a band. And yeah. you teach them how to, to play your songs, and you go on the road, which became the model for a lot of people in the 2010s. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, to me, like, 
you know, we've said this before, we haven't even really talked about the influence of chill wave on pop and, and hip hop, which I think has been pretty profound. I mean, if you listen to like popular music now, a lot of it sounds inspired by the eighties. It has sort of a blurry druggy quality to it. You know, it has a lot of the sonic hallmarks of like feel it all around. Like when you listen to that song from 2009, a lot of songs on the radio now kind of sound like that. Yeah. Uh, so again, it's that chill wave influence without it being called chill wave. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe we're just now at the point, you know, 10 or so years later where people can really assess the importance of this music with a clearer head without all of the sort of hipster baggage that I think was affixed to it back when it had its moment. Yeah. Daddy, what was a hipster? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, a hipster runoff. I mean, like I, you know, I laughed at it, but yeah, in the same way that like, uh, a lot of stuff from that era has grown to scrutiny and you could see like hipster runoff, a lot of it being like pretty overtly misogynist and just kind of nasty. And, um, you know, in some ways it's an era we should be glad we're beyond. <laughs> oh, I believe me. I do not wish that it was, uh, 2010. Uh, well, you know, actually (laughs) there's a lot, it's very easy to be nostalgic for any year, I guess in 2020. Basically, basically any year, but prior to this one, like it's like, uh, that one article in New Yorker, Gio Tolentino wrote, it's like every year's the worst year until the next year, you know? (laughs) So like, I'm feeling nostalgic for like this. Oh man, December, 2019. Like, I'm just going to throw on like uh, an FKA Twigs album. It's like, those are the days, man. You know? (laughs) Well, let's stop being nostalgic and let's talk about an album that came out this year, actually came out today as we're recording this podcast. It's the latest from a band that we both really love called Young Jesus. The record is called Mm. Welcome to Conceptual Beach. And um, I reviewed this record this week, and you have a review coming at a publication that I guess we'll we'll leave unnamed because we we, we want it to be a surprise when that review drops. But (laughs) I assume, you know, that review will be out early next week. Um, Maybe. For those who don't know who Young uh, Jesus is, this was a band, this is a band that formed in the aughts. the main guy in the band is a, is a, is a person named John Rossiter. Uh, he formed this band when he was in high school, back in Chicago, in the aughts. And he went through a bunch of different lineups before settling on the current lineup of the band. I guess it was about three years ago when the band moved to Los Angeles. And really, that was the point where they came to my attention. I don't know if you were listening to them, Ian, before this. But they, they put out a self-titled record that ended up coming out on Saddle Creek. Uh, and then the following year, they put out another album called The Whole Thing Is Just There, which to me was like their real breakthrough. I thought the self-titled record was great, but like that that, two, that 2018 record, it, it just reminded me of like a classic Modest Mouse record crossed with The Grateful Dead with like some Sun Ra touches to it. Like it, it just had this sort of overwhelming emotionalism that you associate with like classic indie rock with an approach that is based in a lot of improvisation and experimentation uh, that is inspired by jazz and, and jam bands. And it's interesting because I feel like this band meets at the midpoint between you and I, in terms of our tastes. <laughs> I, I can't imagine a band that, you know, cause it, cause it's a little bit of emo over here, a little bit of jamming over here and you meet in the middle with this sort of incredible yeah. one of a kind band. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, that I, I've followed this band's journey for quite some time. The first time, well, like, let, I just have to give kind of a shout to the earliest material these guys made in Chicago. I interviewed John in 2018, uh, and he talked about when he was in Chicago, like, what he would do is just get drunk with his buddy in his garage and listen to Bright Eyes, Nothing Gets Crossed Out, and think, that's going to be us, man. Like, I'm going to be Connor, and you're going to be Tim Kasher. And they made these these albums like um, I would I would describe them like they're on Bandcamp, but kind of written out of their history along you know the lines of say like the first national album or you know Deer Hunters Turn It Up F Word or the Antler albums before Hospice like they're there but they're kind of written out of their history and he was saying at the time like 2012 this album called Home it was kind of like a party emo album. 
Like, in the sense that this was kind of what was going on in Chicago with a lot of the emo revival bands, which is kind of hilarious to think about in the space where they're at now. But where I first heard of them was 2015. They had this record called Grow Decompose. Um, just one of those albums that pops up on some blogs that um, cover primarily indie rock, um, you know, like Brooklyn Vegan or what have you. And John's on the cover in drag. And I think that record was made while they're in Chicago, but that's when he moved to L.A., and kind of, for lack of a better term, got his shit together, started working at Skylight Books. And uh, that record you know, stood out to me as being part, a, a kind of that erudite, uh, barfly, Midwestern rock sort of thing. Like, I figured listening to it, they'd be, like, seen along the lines of, say, like, Proto Martyr or, like, The Hold Steady. Uh, and you know, just listen. Who, I hey, wait, it was wait, cool. Who, who's that first oh. band you mentioned? Proto Martyr? Proto Martyr, yeah, dude. Oh, They're, Okay. I just, I just wanted <laughs> yeah. to make sure I heard you say that. Okay. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, Keep going. I, um, yeah. I, I, and uh, I paid attention to them. after. It's like I heard it, thought it was interesting. And I'm like, eh, you know, I didn't really go back to it much because it was very kind of a difficult record. The vocals were very uh, upfront and um, kind of ungainly in a way. But, you know, two years later, um, the self-title comes out. It was initially released on a very, very small label. And I think someone... Uh, the promo email referred to, like to its um, comparison points. This was 2017, remember, as American football, Red House Painters, Pine Grove, and Broken Social Scene. So of course I'm oh okay. I guess I'm gonna listen. Oh yeah, Young Jesus, I remember them. Just one of those bands that you kind of hear in passing, and it's like okay, I'll listen to this album. If it doesn't get my attention in the first five minutes, like then I'll move on. And um, I was just kind of blown away by where they had gotten to that point. It reminded me a little bit of like, you mentioned Modest Mouse. To me, it was more along the lines of like Talk Talk or this kind of post-rock sort of thing going on where it was extremely quiet in some points, um, very meditative. And I remember listening to it like while I was hiking in San Diego on a 100 degree day sometime back in September of 2017. And um you mentioned they got signed to Saddle Creek. Like, uh, I talked to someone from Saddle Creek about that signing, and she said that she she basically saw them play live in L.A. and was just so blown away by it. She's like, I don't care if this band sells no albums. Like, we just have to have this. It right. was like kind of a vanity signing. And to be fair, you know, between this and the whole thing is just there, I mean, they are kind of a band that isn't really well known. No, uh, I fig I figured the trajectory for them would be, uh, you know, like that band I mentioned before, uh, like like a proto martyr or a cymbal Z guitars, like that a kind of band that just puts out a record every now and again, and the same five music writers just like completely lose their minds over it, write really long glowing profiles, and then no one else really gets into it. Um, yeah, it's weird also, to me because that definitely does seem like the path with this rec with this band, and I hope that doesn't happen with this with this record, which we haven't really talked about yet. I, th I think we should dig into Welcome to Conceptual Beach here yeah. a little bit because you're right. I feel like to me, it's clear that this is one of the best albums of the year. Like, I, and I felt that from the first time I really heard it, I I just yeah. thought it, it knocked me out right away. I I love. You know, the previous two records, but I, I really feel like this record is a culmination in a lot of ways of a lot of what they've been working toward, I think, where, you know, they come from this, in a way, conventional indie rock background. Um, and I think they still sound like what you might expect an indie rock band to sound like. But to me, like, their, you know, their approach of, uh, of improvisation and, and bringing in other kinds of music, you know, like there's a song on here called Patterned Out for instance, where, and I interviewed John about this, where he talked about how that song draws on both his teenage love of the Dave Matthews Band and his, his current love of the great jazz artist Alice Coltrane. And you can hear both of those influences in that song. There's like this beautiful saxophone part that, that, that goes through the song. There's like these beautiful, like sort of fluttery keyboards that go about. So they can do that kind of thing. And then there's like another song on there that I love called Meditations, which is this, again, sort of surly post-rock song for about half of it. And then, like, in the middle, it transitions very smoothly into this, like, just furious kind of rapid-paced rocker that, like, John ends up kind of screaming at the end of it. 
And uh, you know, there's so many songs like that, like the like the the song "Lark," this 11 minute song, where you can really hear the sort of improvisational influence of the band on a song like that, where it's this beautiful, you know, sort of stately song that just melts into like free form noise for a couple minutes, and then it kind of goes back into this sort of anthemic, stately splendor type song. And, you know, I hear myself talking about this record and I feel like I sound like a music writer raving about a band (laughs) that not a lot of people know. But I would say that, like, if you love, you know, just emotional, big sounding indie rock, but also are maybe a little bit bored with that kind of record because you feel like you know all the sonic signposts, I feel like this record will give you the exhilaration of those classics without relying on the same old sort of signifiers you know that you're bored with like this is going to take you to a different place while also kind of delivering something that is that feels familiar even as it goes in different directions yeah i think as inaccessible like they get kind of played up as like inaccessible because they make songs that are regularly longer than 10 minutes and there aren't a lot of easy hooks and yet like you mentioned it touches on it, it. It's a band kind of for everyone because it's it, it's for the people who were into indie rock, but then got into jazz. I know that's a very big subset of people. Uh, it plays on like kind of the jam band aspect because they all come from like a very improv uh, background like that. There are a lot of songs that just kind of stop midway. It breaks down and then they just pick it back up, like Steven mentioned. Um, but it also has that. I don't think he's totally jettisoned that indie emo sort of thing like modest mouse like if you want to hear that you can um and i'm just blown away by this record because i thought what they were going to do is they were so into this idea of jamming and improv that they would be the type to put out like a record or two every single year that was more interested in process than like putting the seven best songs and this one um it just kind of shows this mastery that really was hinted at at the previous records. My favorite songs on here are the ones that Steve didn't mention, like Unknowing, which oh, yeah. s- to me it sounded like it's it, the melody is sort of like Radiohead's Let Down, but it's also uh, this distorted shoegaze song. And like you mentioned, um, Meditations, towards the end it's more like a DC post-hardcore sort of thing, like almost like dismemberment plan. So... I mean, it is really easy to geek out and be a music writer about this because they, the band who made it are such music nerds. One of the guys teaches a college course on Sun Ra. Right, um, <laughs> right. And, uh, but, at this, but I think it's worth noting that for as challenging as this album seems, uh, it, it also can appeal to basically every single form. Like if you like rock, indie rock music or like of any sort of variant, there's something for you here. And I think that comes across to a degree that the previous records, strong as they are, uh, didn't. It sounds like what they did this time was they came with a batch of songs and then did the jams as opposed to the last album, which intentionally was like, we're going to jam until a song comes out of it. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, th- I think I think with this album, um, it also helps that it's coming out at a time where there really isn't much, there aren't too many big indie rock releases. So, um, the, 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 this weekend is young Jesus and young Jesus is alone. Yes. 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 Carve out a good portion of your weekend. Listen to welcome to conceptual beach by young Jesus. All right. We have now reached the point of our episode where we give a recommendation from each of us, something that we're enjoying. We call it Recommendation Corner. We're going to talk about an album or a film or a book or, or whatever, something that Ian and I are into. Ian, why don't you go first? All right. So we talked about Chillwave. Let's go in the complete opposite direction. Uh, how about some hardcore? <laughs> I think I think that this genre, um, it's, it, it's a bit of a hard sell in a lot of indie rock because, for one thing, it involves a lot of like physicality. Uh, you kind of have to be at the shows. You have to be at the ground level, like seeing these EPs and these singles. It doesn't really lend itself well to albums. And also, even writing about it is tough. I mean, how many, like, can you really spend 600 words saying, like, oh, yeah, this stomps ass and be done with it? Um, that was a problem I kind of had with what I think is the best hardcore record of the year, which is Gulch's Impenetrable Cerebral Fortress. 
Um, it's a band that had gotten a lot of hype in the past couple of years in the hardcore realm because, weirdly enough, not just their uh, live act, but their merch. They have this logo that's been on like Sanrio-themed hoodies and rugby shirts. And what happens is their merch sells out and like really quickly and then gets resold for like $200, $500 on resale sites. But um, who are these hardcore and, people that have that much money to spend on merch? Yeah, are these like, I, uh, I, I, that's what I'm wondering, dude. It's like maybe just wear that like Gulch hoodie till it till like for like the next two years until you can afford the next one. But uh, they kind of surprise dropped their album on the same day that uh, Folklore came out. And it was funny to see the kind of people who were, who listen to both and it's a uh, it's 15 minutes it ends with a Susie and the Banshees cover but it was produced by Jack Shirley a guy who's done Deaf Heaven and Jeff Rosenstock Joyce Manor um and for like all you give it is 15 minutes and it just is so aggressive but like big sounding in a way that you kind of don't expect hardcore to be um and it, it's 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 a it's a weird thing with hardcore now because you think like okay they're not touring like and you're also stuck inside. Like, how you possibly enjoy this music? But I think all one for one thing, a it's counter programming. And for someone such as myself, who's like forty and kind of a wuss, um, it might be easier to enjoy this music than ever because you don't have to. You could kind of like watch and observe the shows. And I think one of the best examples of this is a YouTube channel called Hate Five Six. Uh, it's a guy named Sunny Singh, who makes a lot of like really high quality hardcore uh, show footage gulch being among them you can look at their performance from 2019's this is hardcore festival in philadelphia uh a couple other bands that come from gulch's scene such as drain you can look at their uh sound and fury set and it's just phenomenal to like watch this stuff because it's so violent in a lot of ways like people like really like freak out like just doing the circle pit thing spin kicks like handstands on stage sounds great and you yeah you can sounds see, amazing you can, in, i mean like you can enjoy, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know man enjoy from the comfort of your own yeah home, but like you see like people still feel this way about hardcore music in 2020 i don't know man like i don't really need to be around or even watch aggressive young men kicking each other i i don't know i i like this record i listened to it a couple times i feel like that's probably all i needed from this album <laughs> personally but like I agree with you that like there's if you're averse to hardcore music if you don't listen to like a lot of this this type of music I would say that Gulch is like relatively accessible there are like more snatches of melody on this record than you would expect um so I know like I went through a period like where I listened to like a lot of hardcore post hardcore music and I'm kind of not in that place right now so it's harder for me to access stuff like this but I would say. I love you too, Steve. Well, I was gonna say like the record I'm gonna recommend. I know is definitely not up your alley, but it's a record I love, and it's sort of the opposite, I guess, of what Gulch would be, which is a record called Flower Devotion by a band called Dead. Dead is a band, and you know, it sounds like The Grateful Dead, but it's just Dead. D E H D is how it's uh, uh, spelled. But anyway, this is a band from Chicago. There's some members of this band that. Uh, played in other groups that you might know, like Nehi and Lala Lala, other Chicago bands that um, are really cool, but they never like really broke out. I think in a big way, and I would say that Dead is the best thing that these people have been involved with. Um, and Flower Devotion, I think, is uh, it's their third record, but I think it's clearly their best album. And it is the I, I guess prototypical third album by an up and coming indie band, and in that like it sounds a lot. Uh, bolder, the production is better, the songwriting is a lot sharper. You know, kind of like in talking about a hardcore band, you know, it's hard to write about music like that because there are certain sort of genre uh, requirements of that that like people are pretty familiar with. And, and in a way, that's also true of, of Dead because this is basically a reverb heavy guitar pop record, uh, which uh, is a kind of record that I feel like we've all heard and we've probably all heard that many times, but like, I feel like flower devotion when I put it on, it really kind of blew me away because I feel like it's such a better version of that kind of music than I've heard in a really long time. And for me, like the strength of this band, along with just like the melodies, which I think are really strong, um, are the vocals. Uh, like there's a, there's like 
man and woman vocals playing off each other. Just these really great harmonies that kind of, uh, I, I mean, I've heard this band talk about the, the Cocktoo Twins being an influence, that sort of like ethereal sound that you associate with that group. And there's some elements of that um, in Dead, although it reminds me more almost of like a mamas and papas type vocal sound. Like it has like a classic kind of harmony quality to it that you associate with like great sixties pop. So just that combination of influences really is in my wheelhouse. I hear a little bit of like early cure in this band as well. Um, I know they've also talked about like Roy Orbison being an influence. Um, Obviously he, you know, he's a great singer as well. So yeah, I mean, Flower Devotion, it, you know, it, it, it kind of also falls in that dream pop lane that we've been talking about on this show for the last couple episodes. And I know we said dream pop was more for July, but I guess I'm carrying it also <laughs> into August. So this is an album I love. I know like you are pretty underwhelmed by this album. Yeah, more like meh. <laughs> am I right? Yeah, they even spell it like that. Um, To me, it's like, uh, I, I do, like, you mentioned a lot of influences that I like as well. Now, I, I didn't hear Mamas and Papas. What I heard with the harmonies, like, I think the, uh, vo- the female vocals, like, are really distinct. Uh, they really, um, they're interesting to me. And then the guy gets on, and it sounds like a lot of bands from the early 2010s that, like, I've kind of forgotten about, like Crocodiles. Like, it, like a lot of, or just um, a lot of, like, kind of lesser stuff that I reviewed in, like, the C to E slots in 2012. But to me, it's like, I get it. it. It's indie rock kind of fan service where it brings up, like, a lot of influences that are, like, perennially, 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 I don't know how to say that word, perennially cool. Um, they're always cool, in other words. Um, and to me, that's, like, not very interesting. And also, like, I get kind of weary of Chicago hype because, like, you would hear, like, Nehi and La La La. They're, like, the best, man. They're making incredible projects. Like, I think that a lot of this right now just shows to, like, kind of my exhaustion about this sort of sound or just bands coming out of Chicago, which, don't get me wrong, a lot of great stuff comes out of there. But this, to me, even though it is kind of up my alley as a as an indie rock kind of purist, it just... It hasn't connected with me yet, but I think maybe that will happen in like a year or two when I have some distance from, you know, the fact that this is the indie rock record people have like rallied around. Um, that's happened to me a lot this year because I can go back to like, oh, yeah, maybe Mac DeMarco has some things that I might <laughs> like about it. Maybe I should give Ice Age another shot. You know, I feel like Dead is probably that sort of thing as well. Well, if you want to sit in your house with headphones and uh, drink yourself into a stupor, listen to Dead. If you want to go lift weights and be really active, listen to Gulch. So I feel like we're giving people lots of different lifestyle options with our recommendations. I'm feeling good about this. (laughs) Uh, We have run out of time here on IndieCast, so thank you again for listening to our show. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. We'll be back next week with more reviews of albums, more indie news, more recommendations. Take care, everybody.